Hello, and welcome again to our series on HR career journeys. Today's discussion is with Tony Wilkes, somebody I've known for over 10 years and was a colleague with mine when I was at Sub-C7. Tony is currently the HR Director for Sub-C7 for Corporate Development. In this discussion today, we get an insight into Tony's first experiences of moving into HR, which as you will see from the, from the podcast are not kind of your typical experiences and often shares a resistance to our perception of, of what HR is like. But also as the conversation goes on, Tony gives us an insight into predominantly specializing in corporate development and talent management and gives us an insight into what it is particular about that particular speciality in HR that creates her passion, why she loves it so much, why she's enjoyed it, and the different experiences she's had from that. So I'm sure you'll enjoy today's discussion. Hi, Tony, I would like to thank you for taking the time and making yourself available to come on to this particular podcast and, and to have this discussion today into somebody's career journey within HR. And just for the benefit of the audience, I think it's worth pointing out, I think we first met around about 2010. That's when I joined Sub-C7, which was like an eternity ago as, the, as I joined them as the UK and Canada HR director there and had the opportunity to kind of, kind of work with yourself for kind of six, seven years during my time at Sub-C7. So I, I really take the they take on a thank you for for coming on to this side of it and I think as we'll go through this particular conversation it's it's a really interesting one with yourself Tony with your background where you came from how you came into to HR and in particular how the different types of roles in terms of seniority from that side of it here so I think our, our listeners are going to get another fantastic insight into how a senior professional like yourself has made their progress within HR but also the different types of roles that you've taken up for, from there so thank you for coming on Tony. That's my pleasure Chris. So I'm going to start at the very very beginning what was it your parents did what was it they did for their roles and their careers so my mum was a teacher well actually my mum originally was an Irish harpist playing in a castle in Ireland which led to her being on a tv show and then latterly she trained as a teacher both music and primary school and my father was a civil engineer in in water so reservoirs sewage works all kinds of uh, water and he worked all over the world and so what my mum did was travel around the world with him teaching all over the world so looking at both your 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 mother and father's kind of kind of just different in terms of kind of careers do you think this affected your career journey in any way and or how do you think those roles perhaps affected your your kind of thoughts for the future in terms of my parents the iron irony is that when i was choosing what degree i wanted to do at university it was either going to be music or civil engineering so it literally like my mum's way or my dad's way so to speak but that's more in terms of topic i think the thing that really my, my parents and my um childhood growing up really influenced was the fact that i knew very clearly that i wanted an international career i was born in the seychelles we then moved to costa rica we then lived in jordan for a long time and eventually obviously settled in the in the uk but i knew that those experiences of being overseas were absolutely what i wanted and, and quite often when we lived in those different countries we would go and visit 
um, the construction sites where my dad was working and, and I absolutely loved it. Compared to myself, who was brought up in Aberdeen, it feels like an, a totally exciting upbringing in terms of the different locations. Looking back at your parents, do you think there was anything specifically that had the most influence on you in terms of their behaviour or how they presented themselves? Very much. My parents set a tone within our family to a success, I would say, definitely success. And and, and the reason I say that is that they encourage us all to, to work hard, to do well in our studies, but also when it came down to the sort of moment of truth of choosing my degree. I, I mean, I can always visualise the conversation with my father around, well, you'll always have music in your soul, but if you have civil engineering degree, you might make some money type conversation. And and actually, but it was a pivotal moment. I don't, you know, recall before that, other than the tone of, you know, a loving, stable family that were really up for adventure. I would say it was, you know, those moments of truth of just being out there, being you, trying new things, experimenting and not being afraid. And fast forward to yourself, age seven, you'll know where this idea came from because it it came from Tonya's team in Norway around what is it you wanted to be when you were seven years old, which we used so successfully within kind of subsea seven. But thinking back to your own personal kind of thoughts what was what was the what was the plan as a seven-year-old honestly no plan and and it's something that I you know when I talk about my career to people in this company I had no plan for what I wanted to be when I was younger I just sort of bumbled through my school years doing stuff that I was good at and being a kid and just sort of having fun if you know what I mean and then that's really sort of where it got me was doing stuff I was was good at even when I did my degree choice at no point did I sit there and go well clearly I want to be an engineer it was more well I'll do stuff that I'm good at and when even when it came to finding a job I needed a job to get the student loan that would allow me to travel and they'd only give me a payment a holiday of three months you know I know that there are people out there and I even my, you know my my eldest daughter seems very clear on what she's going to do albeit it does change but they are these big jobs my youngest has no idea and and I think we can sort of get ourselves wrapped up in not knowing whereas actually the boundaries that I set myself in of what I wanted I wanted to be happy I wanted a family I wanted to be successful in whatever I would do I wanted to work hard and I knew I wanted to go overseas those boundaries were there from when I was younger I wanted excitement and those are what really guided my career as opposed to a topic as such. And would you say that that actually having those boundaries or kind of things that you were kind of kind of working towards, do you think that actually opened up the landscape greater than actually saying this is where I want to go? And it just uh, made it much more wider choice for you. For me, I would say probably yes, in the sense that what it meant was that when you know, I was clear to people on, I'd really like to go overseas, or, you know, I'm quite up for different experiences, people knew that that they could approach me and say, well, this thing has come up, do you want to do it? And then that the boundary or the sort of drive of excitement and challenges and not being afraid to fail, just jump in, let's go, let's get on that plane, and let's see where it takes us. Definitely that sort of approach to life, I think did open up opportunities as opposed to 
you know, I would just want to grow capability in this skill. No, I, I completely understand that. And kind of going back to your seven-year-old self, what was the subjects that you you really enjoyed? What were the ones that you really liked or you, you kind of thrived at, just to give us a clue into what you were good at? <laughs> I was really good at maths and science. So, you know, I'm a complete fundamental nerd, but also music. So I've always grown up playing a lot of music. And so and music was always in our house. And I'm really passionate about it. Not good at things like drama, not really excited by things like English. And I'm really terrible in Barrett. And I hate myself for saying this at languages, although I do try quite hard. But yeah, proper, hardcore science, technology, engineering, maths topics. And you can see the influence of your parents almost on the subjects as well as comes strongly through there. Definitely, definitely. There's no doubt about it. I've yet to meet a youngster aged between seven and 14 who has told me I want to be an HR professional when I grow up. So just out of curiosity, when was the first time you became aware of human resources or personnel, as it may have been called at that time, from, from your own perspective? I suppose a bit of a, a quick stop history of my career. I graduated with a degree in civil engineering and I did an engineering, structural engineering job in the energy industry for a number of years, designing platforms, FPSOs, etc., working at a number of places around the world, Nigeria, the Middle East, Singapore, as examples. And um, I then moved into a number of different roles because I was being developed to become a project manager. So I moved through tendering, project controls, uh, contracts, subcontracts, management, and finally SEM in that company. A colleague from that company was now working for the company or a version of the company that I work for now and said, come and join this company. There's a role. It's engineering, resourcing and development manager. So not in my pure technical space, but I had put together a graduate program for the supply chain function that I was working in in my prior company. And so I moved over, took that sort of jump for whatever reason. And it was at that point I started to work with HR people, but within the technical function. So I was reporting into engineering. And then after a while, my boss's boss said, well, actually, we'd like you to move into HR uh, and do what you've been doing, but for the rest of the functions as well. And if you don't mind me asking, in terms of approximate age, at what time was that when you moved into HR or became much more aware of it? It was the February before I got married in 2005, so I would have been 31. Okay, so it gives an idea of the career that you've had before and then the transition into HR, which, again, one of the themes we've been trying to pull out from from, from this particular podcast is the different directions and, and how people can go in. So if I take you back to your kind of degree, kind of, kind of in engineering, when you had those choices to make it university and then clearly took the engineering and then the choices you made at companies, what were your kind of drivers at that point to to, to pursue that side of it? My drivers in my career have always, and again, it's these sort of boundaries to my career and what's important uh, to me. My drivers in my career, number one, is to be developed continually. So even now, it's still really important to me to work for a company that will invest in my development and that my role will allow me to um, continue to develop, if you see what I mean. So that that's uh, a very 
strong compass that I have um, within me. The rest of it in terms of the role, I like the variety, I like a role with variety that's not the same, that, you know, there's curveballs in, but also as well for me to work with people. Um, now, in projects, that was with people in projects, in HR, it's with people, it's with talent, it's with HR people, it's with the business, it's, it's the same thing, but different topic. But so that really is for me what's important in my career choice. Looking back at the companies that you chose kind of after your degree, what was the attraction to those particular companies? What were the choices that made you go in those particular direction? My first company was absolutely because it was a graduate engineering scheme and the commitment to move me overseas. So tick, very clear. When I moved to, to this company, to Subsea 7, it was an exciting company with an exciting future, a really big sort of changing market. And I met all the management team and they spoke about that, you know, they told the story of where they were going. And I wanted to be a part of that story. It was new and it was very much the autonomy to set out the playing field of of development in that company starting with you know the key function of engineering so it was the story of where they were going but also the people that i would be working with and that clear autonomy you know you need to speak to these people get on a plane tell us what we need to do was just like perfect for me you start to put your toe into the hr kind of water what was your first experience of hr moving into that side given the background and the kind of direction you had taken before then when they asked me to move into the hr function i was kind of horrified if i'm honest because my history of being an expat and moving around the world my history and experience of hr professionals was not a strong one it was disorganized commitments didn't come through changes last minute you know it was just just disorganized and awful and it all you know I didn't feel valued as a person being the way that I was managed from a expatriate contract and this is number of expatriate contracts not just one and so when I was asked by my boss look we'd like you to move into HR it was like oh god is that really something I want to do be connected with this profession that I don't value and I actually found it quite a hard decision to make because the other option of course was to stay in the business line continue perhaps in a sort of more commercial role um, do something quite different but the reason that I did was because of the people who did HR and I was exposed to in the team that I was working with at the time it was people who thought quite differently who were <clears throat> future focused and who number one put the business first you didn't when you listen to these people think you're the HR person over there they sounded like someone who ran a business and that was really important to me what was it about the first role and, and when did you start to start to realize that oh there's there's something more here for me that I'm enjoying what when did those sort of things start to pop into your head having made that kind of first step into and probably the hardest step into the actual function itself it took it well it took a while for me to commit to the function a number you know over a number of years I'd have a conversation with my boss you know where do you want your career to go what and it was always sort of do you want to go back to the business do you want to stay in HR and I was loving what I was doing and I was continuing to grow, but I would say my career was sort of stagnating because I wasn't making a decision. And then I did finally make a decision and go, you know what, what are you, it was a sort of personal 
slap around the face. What are you doing? You love this. You know, and I do. I mean, this is my zone. I found my place. I'm super passionate about it, particularly the development side. I know all people can develop if they make the choice that they want to. Um, And so when I did finally say, no, you know, I want my career to be in HR. This is my space. I absolutely love it. At that point, I could see a change in my career opportunities to move into different roles to give me greater exposure um which was exactly what i wanted interesting to see the the kind of move at kind of later point into there and and obviously trying to to understand it and i think a point we often make is hr is often misunderstood or sometimes not fully there and it's not until you're in the heart of it that you you really see it but like every profession it's it's the people that make the difference at the end of the day in terms of it's here so in terms of having moved into HR and made that, right, I'm going to commit to this and do that, what was your thoughts around the kind of academic side or whether it was CIPD or any HR qualifications? Did those those thoughts enter your mind at that point when you thought, right, I'm committing to this, do I need to do something more? Or were you on the path that says, no, I've got enough experience, I don't need to do that? So I maintain my membership with um, the Institution of Civil Engineers. So I remain a chartered member. I did a lot of work to get that chartership. Um, And I, you know, I recall a conversation with a couple of people, you know, what do you really need to have to take your career further? So obviously, I mean, at the point I'm making these big commitments, I'm sort of 35, 36, in the middle of having children, to undertake a level of qualification at that point was just not even on the playing field. It would have broken me, I think, to add that into um, everything at the time. But there was definitely two trains of thought. You absolutely need CIPD qualification, which let's be clear is a UK thing. And I'm not a UK focused person, I'm a global person. So the rest of the world didn't really care. And then there's the other train of thought, which is it is about experience. And a lot of the topics that I'm working on are moving moving so quickly in terms of the way we do learning, talent development, diversity and inclusion, mental health and well-being, would having that CIPD qualification really add value to me at that point? My personal view that I took was no, it was about experience, my networking, my exposure externally um, to different groups and my learning, I would say, in the industry that I was in that has moved and continued to move so fast. And I think that's an absolutely strong point is the experience and the exposure you had and then comparing that to, to, to what you would have got out of there is, is probably uncomparable in the sense that you would have probably maybe picked up elements of technical specialism, but ultimately did you really need that in comparison to, to the kind of ideas in which you were kind of, kind of doing? And again, just proves the point in terms of experience and understanding an organization and how it works and, and supporting it is, is, is so much more important. I mean, I super value the chartership processes, whether that be CIPD or, or any other at a point in time. I, I personally am not a collector of qualifications, but I super value them at the right point in time. So if I was going to change career and, you know, want to become a, I don't know, a project manager, I could see the value in doing a qualification with that changing career from, you know, but as I sort of morphed into it and evolved, the experience was, and actually the external latest thinking was more of value to me at the time. No, absolutely. 
So in terms of your journey thereafter into HR, was there a plan in place in terms of direction you wanted to go within HR and the kind of roles you wanted to do? Or was that very much about looking at what the opportunities were and, and choosing the best ones? I mean, I started in HR in the learning space, the learning change, employee engagement, internal communication side. And um, the scope has grown and evolved and I've really enjoyed it. I have done a generalist HR role, you know, during the toughest of restructures. Um, and I really enjoyed that as well. I would say my ultimate goal is the sort of top job, um, but also life happens. And uh, and actually the other thing is I have, I mean, even the age that I'm at, I've still got another 10 to 15 years of career ahead of me. So whatever the top job is, A, I'm in no rush, but also if I look at what I'm doing now, I'm sort of starting to diversify. So right now I am doing my coaching diploma for executive coaching to sort of add that string to my bow. And I'm really enjoying that sort of injection of personal development while still, you know, get being in those network groups on topics like diversity and inclusion and, and health and well-being. So I would say my, my career path is definitely in HR, whatever that may be. It wouldn't be, and I'm loving where I am now. I'm no rush to uh, to leave or go anywhere. It, it suits me. I also work four days a week. So from a, a sort of lifestyle perspective, I can manage the complexity that is my life as well as deliver successfully my role. So what I want to keep doing, and I sort of loop back around to where we started really, is to continue to develop and continue to grow and add strings to my bow to whatever that future looks like, which is sort of a little bit undefined, other than, again, if if I think back to what defines my career, which is my boundaries, which is continued growth, continued entertainment, a job I love for a company that I value and respect for people that treat me well. No, absolutely. They are strong, positive things that you, I think everyone should follow. And I think... A conversation for another day is around the, the kind of effectiveness of a work-life balance to help manage and achieve all of the things which often gets dismissed, but actually can easily be achieved. And I think that's something for another day that I think COVID explored that you can actually manage things a lot more effectively there. I'm conscious you made a choice. You've had a bit of generalist and have done a generalist role. I'm also conscious that you've spent quite a lot of time in L&D. And I know you probably best from your experience in L&D and know how super effective you've been in that role. So can you tell me a little bit about what is it about L&D and that particular space that, that kind of lights your passions? For me, it is the fact that everyone has the capability to develop and some people need signposting and some people need a nudge. Quite often people, I would say, undervalue what they can bring uh, to a company and to their life, I would say. But my the reason I love it is to see people grow, to see people's eyes open to the fact that they can lead their own life and not have someone else do it for them. But actually, quite often people need permission to want to step up and lead their own life, be that to go part time or change career or move overseas or stay where they are. Life is long and we all have to put into perspective that work is a part of our of our lives. And I think that that's why I love it so much. It is seeing people grow and develop and, and helping people through that. 
whether it be, you know, what they may get from attending one training course, but also as well for me in this company, it is about helping the company be the best it can be when it comes to growing their talent and delivering on the promises that we we give to people around career, around development, around working in an environment where you can thrive. I had one recent experience where a graduate that we brought on board to the company I worked for at the time, kind of over 20 years ago, that I'd lost touch with was being promoted on LinkedIn as a senior VP in the United States at a large company and seeing that 20 year gap of someone you were involved in the process of taking on to, to see where they'd got to, that kind of gives you a kind of kind of wow factor. So I can absolutely get that kind of reward that comes from seeing people grow and flourish and, and kind of go on to do something from that side of it and connect to it. I would also going to ask from a talent perspective as well, have you seen the kind of function become more important or change significantly over the last 10, 15 years and take on more responsibilities within the organisation as all of these additional kind of external demands have been placed on it? I would say it's always been important what i would say is i think it's the realization of how important it is people that do the work for all the companies and modern topics have always been there to an extent it's just that people have perhaps not said anything about it but i think that the the shift in the workplace right now it's been fast-tracked by covid which is great, but it does also mean it's pretty messy and a little bit uncomfortable journey for a lot of people, you know, For uh, and that's where I think as a function, HR can really add an awful lot of value is to help the businesses that we all work for make the best informed decisions for the companies that we work for, recognising that all companies have different cultures, work in different ways, but set the tone for our people to really be successful in their work lives. Yeah, I think one of the messages that's always stuck with me was from a an early manager who always said, if you can get these three basic principles right about getting the right people in the right place at the right time, doing what they're good at and focus on trying to make them better, you're not going to go far wrong as an organisation if, if that's what you're focuses within HR and that's always stuck with me because people that are the most variable asset that they've got that can can vary dramatically depending on how they're managed. Absolutely but I think the other thing as well is as a as a function we are digitalizing as fast if not faster than many of the other functions and that the whole sort of data-driven decisions piece is really adding an awful lot of value to us. It gives us a lot of credibility to advise the business, how our people feel, why they feel, what the data says, what's making a difference and what's not. One of the questions I want to ask now is about successful HR leaders, but also widen it to cover more generally any kind of leaders that they are. Looking back at the role models that inspired you initially in your career and then throughout your career, what was it about them that kind of had such an impact on you? There's two things for me. It's number one, that the, the human factor, that they are who they are and they have empathy uh, and they want to listen to you and that they care about what they're talking about. Um, it is that real sort of authenticity piece. And I know it's a word that we sort of chuck about as HR professionals, but how believable, how believable, pe believable people are and that they really do what they say that they will do. 
So that's the first thing for me, whether that be a HR leader or, or anyone else, that everyone is treated with a level of respect. The second thing for me, and this is, I would say, pointed at HR leaders, but actually I would say any other functional leader as well, is that you are business first, HR second. So if you are on a management team of a region or a country, you're on the management team as a business person for that regional country who just so happens to do the HR role. So if the head of that regional country stepped away, you could deliver their presentation for them, all the financials and all of the rest of it. And the reason for me that that is so important is if you don't understand the business, then it's very difficult to be a really effective partner to that business. So that for me, and I would I say the same to all our people who get promoted, whether they be sales and marketing leaders or engineering leaders, business first. You just so happen to be the functional leader of whatever. And that for me is really, really important with the HR function. I, I can't, I wouldn't, I couldn't agree anymore with that point. I think some of the most inspiring people I've had the pleasure of working with, I couldn't tell their background because they were so rounded. They were, they had a presence and ability to talk about any subject and they were prepared and, and you just bought into them. And one of the most effective HR people that I ever met early on in my career, what stood her out from everyone else was how the business talked about her and how they saw her as more than an HR person and how she was able to incorporate the operations and have that impact and kind of makes me realise as part of my transition as I've got older and a bit more experienced is it's not being that technical expert, it's being a business leader and that's a whole range of other skills and being able to talk a whole element of other language that that, that comes with that, which, which some people struggle to make the transition on. So I couldn't agree more for, for, from that side of it. Looking at to your time within the HR function, one of the most asked questions I always get is, what are the skills? What is it I need to be to be successful? And, and what is my journey? So from your experience there, what do you think the key skills are for an effective HR professional or a senior HR professional to have? Curiosity, curiosity in people, curiosity in the business curiosity in, in topics undoubtedly which gives you that mindset to to learn and to to want to learn and find out new things and ask lots of questions um, and I think the second thing is that human factor and it's something I've seen change in HR as an almost requirement through my career when I was younger in my career I didn't feel like I was treated like a person. It was something that was being done to me, whereas now HR people treat people like people and recognise that no two people are the same in anything uh, and that you never make assumptions about someone. They might look this, look that, sound this, sound that, have that on their business card. You don't know what's going on behind the face. So for me, those are the, the, the two things. Absolutely. Get to know the individual and the person is so important because that's where you can build the relationship. And again, to take the point there, the kind of experience you had as an expat is something that stays with you. So it's also that recognition that even as an HR administrator, you can have an impact on somebody, even though you might not realise just upon how you present yourself or how you how you can deliver from that side of it. And I think 
that's always the challenge with HR. It's, it's we interface with people all the time and, and it will always be an element of emotion that comes with that interface and it's remembering that at the same time. Well, it's absolutely. And at the end of the day, when you are interfacing as HR, whatever level you are, you are the company to that individual. You set the tone, you're setting the culture, you are the company. You are talking as if you are, in, you know, sub seven or whichever company. And so if you don't have that in your mindset it, it, you 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 can set the wrong tone and the wrong agenda and set someone's mindset incorrectly for for the rest of their time at that company absolutely it's that connection piece that's recognizes it stays with you and if you can create as many positive connections as possible they also stay with you a lot longer and you remember those as well now my next question was going to be but you've already covered it is was around what do you see next to you what do you want to achieve and i had the rather scary um discussion with a student at a recent university who came up to me and said so how do you plan to to wind down your career which was met with horror when i kind of realized that he was looking at me as um uh, uh someone in excess of 50 and thinking <laughs> to be kind of winding himself down where mentally i'm still 25 so um i hadn't quite reached that point but i know you kind of mentioned in terms of the future roles but is there any particular areas of passion or within hr or areas you would really like to get more involved with um as you kind of look forward to the the kind of kind of next phase for you absolutely and you know being in the role that i'm in for people who are thinking of winding down actually to have a sort of solid wind down it is something that you kind of need to think about 10 years out almost as opposed to right I finished now what am I going to do which is why networking and all of these things are kind of important in in terms of what it looks like specifically I'm not sure but I know that it will involve developing people I know it involves coaching of some sort I'd like at the point in time where I have more space and time because my children have grown up and and left to to give back more to society um particularly where i live in in london there are a lot of underprivileged kids who just need someone to help give them have a conversation on presenting themselves in an interview and particularly i am very very passionate about the female agenda helping women present themselves be the best that they can be have the space to talk about the challenges that they have either earlier in their career during the sort of parenting years and even perhaps latterly in in their careers i am extremely passionate about the women and girls agenda no absolutely so i'm going to finish off with um the kind of example of hr and, and in my experience one of the things i often say to people is hr when they try and describe what's your job like it's so difficult to kind of articulate it or explain it no one day is the same you don't know who's going to knock on your door one day or the email that's going to come through or or, or what you're going to end up doing there so to kind of round up can you think of two kind of scenarios that you find yourself in and you just thought how am i here why am I doing this? This is so unusual. How do how do I deal with this? Can you think of any examples like that that show the kind of uniqueness of HR? So I've got a couple. One, the first one would be I very recently I'm a, a co-sponsor for one of our vessels at Subsea Seven Seven Borealis, and recently myself and the sponsor we went to do a visit for the vessel to see all of the people. 
and and it was wonderful. I speak to them a lot on the phone. We had a great tour of the vessel. Really got to sort of understand the space, have better, better conversations with these people um, to better understand how they feel on the vessel. And it made me reflect back to when I first started at this company and there was an offshore seminar and I met the captain of a vessel, an offshore manager of a vessel, apologies. And within five minutes of the conversation with him, He'd ripped off his shirt and shown me the state of Texas tattooed on his heart. And, and I just at that point went, do you know what? We're going to be fine friends. And, and we were because he got my agenda, my learning. But it was that like, oh, my God, what just happened here? And is this OK? And I'm not sure. And, da, 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 da. and then you kind of go, no, you know what? You and I are going to be friends. And he would turn up to every graduate program I ran to explain offshore, to explain how it works there. And so I think that that's the thing in sort of, you know, you have these moments today, which are very sort of proper and formal and but not, you know, it's still connecting with people. And it's that thing. It's that connecting with people. So it's a real jolly memory that I have of. And it's one of the things I love about this company is that you get to work with extremely different people all the time. My second example is a bit of a more serious one where we had a situation where we'd hired someone and in a senior role and their position and they started with the company, the checks, the background checks that had been done didn't quite, hadn't quite confirmed the situation and the reality of this person's situation. And I had to have a very, very serious conversation around, look, an allegation has been made. You know, we've all been there in HR and we've all done them, but it was a super serious allegation. And it was one of those conversations you knew you had to plan every word that you were going to say and that, you know, would super influence someone's life. And I think that that's the thing in terms of, you know, what happens in a day. It is these amazing situations of it being exposed to amazing people. But on the other hand, it's these conversations that you have that really influence someone's life. Piece of feedback that you may give, a redundancy process. And it's doing all of that, you know, those experiences, those everyday moments in and amongst the sending lots of emails and meetings and conversations and printing and whatever else it is that we all do. It's, uh, you know, it's those moments that matter, that make it joyful, that stretch you, that challenge you, that make the job brilliant. No, absolutely. I think the examples you give and it can, I think we can probably safely say, I think all of us could write a book in some of the situations we have found ourselves in and think to yourself, nobody ever really trained me for this, but it's that uniqueness of dealing with people prior kind of almost every minute of every day that, that kind of, kind of brings you those situations and such like. I'd like to take the opportunity again, Tony, to thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Again, like some of the other stories that we've been able to share, it gives a kind of different perspective on all the different paths and opportunities that exist in HR and the actual potential you have to make a difference from that side of it there. From yourself coming in through an engineering and into HR and then into a kind of senior role shows that the ability to come in and make a difference doesn't matter in terms of where you start off with. And I think the point we talked about right at the start is most people don't really know how they they're going to go into HR they tend to find themselves in the spot and then we make the best of it and we actually love it uh, from that side of it so Tony thank you for coming on sharing your story with us and again taking the time um, out of your busy schedule to do that thank you Chris it was a pleasure 
Thank you for listening to that discussion with Tony. I'm sure you can say it was interesting and gave us some good insights into the speciality of, of talent management and talent development. If you're interested in getting more of our podcasts, just get them from your usual sources. And our next conversation will be with Sally Clift. And we look forward to, to for you joining us then. Thank you.